Hello and welcome to the ITM podcast. ITM, of course, is the Institute of Travel Management, the UK Business Travel Industries Not-for-Profit Association. And this episode is brought to you in partnership with our great friends at Clarity Business Travel. Thanks to them. So each time I'm joined by industry experts to enlighten and inform us on subject matter that ITM members need to know more about. And today I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Paul Tilstone, founding partner of Festive Road. Hello, Paul. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm tremendous, actually. I'm a bit worried by the description of enlightening and engaging the audience. There's a lot of pressure from from right on early. Well, I think you're the man, do you not? Is that right? Okay, <laughs> let's get into this, shall we? Okay. All right, so, Paul, of course, you are a previous CEO of ITM, mm. so, um, you know, you, you know ITM extremely well. What was your what was your experience of the role back then? Um, all Sort of all-encompassing, really. It's kind of, I don't know if you've had this experience, but it does sort of take over your life. It's like a vocation rather than a than a job. And I think because you're so engrossed in the members' um, everyday challenges and opportunities and... Um, also, you see a lot of development in people that it's just such an empowering role, but it um, it does kind of take over a little bit. Do you find the same thing? It, it does, but only because you, you care about it yeah, so absolutely. much, don't you? Like, yeah. I always say that our, our members are like our shareholders, so yes. everything we do is for them. That's a but nice description. What, um, what were you proudest of in your time? Um, do you know, there was sort of a, a lot of little things, really. But I think, But the overarching thing was that um, before uh, I took over, I, I was a director, actually, before I became CEO. And um, at that point in time, financially, the association was, uh, it wasn't on its best footing. And um, it also had a bit of a reputation of, of being slightly fuddy-duddy. And I, th- I think, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of is we got it back to a really decent financial footing, before the credit crunch hit. Uh, and um, we also um, created a reputation where we were renowned for challenging the industry, um, entering into thought leadership space, and that just didn't really seem to be there before that. Um, so I'd say they were the overarching themes, really. Excellent. So, of course, you'd started Festive Road. Yes. Is that about five years ago? Yeah, it was. In uh, I left uh, Jeep, the Global Business Travel Association in um, December 2014. And uh, I, uh, on the way home from the conference, I started drafting a business plan. And essentially, it was to leverage the 10 years plus that I'd spent in association world, where I'd created some amazing contacts and um, some really deep knowledge about the sector. And I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to do my own thing. I've never really had the opportunity or the guts to do it. And if there was ever a time, then now is the time. And that's where Festive Road was born on that plane on the way home from that uh, that conference. And I started it January 2015. I mean, it seems like a lot longer you guys have been around. But for those, there might be some people who don't know what Festive Road do. What, yeah. what, what do you do and who do you do it for? I'm a bit worried you think we've been around a lot longer. We're boring people now, are we? <laughs> so <laughs> um, so we're, I mean, we're a consultancy through and through. Um, we like to say that, uh, that we're on a mission to create better travel and meetings management. And uh, what's different about us is we're a consultancy that works both sides of the ecosystem. In fact, actually across the whole ecosystem. Um, So I'll give you a couple of examples. On the supplier side, um, essentially we look at uh, their strategy, uh, maybe their marketing proposition, maybe it's some of their products and services. And we do the necessary insights within the market to help them better understand how they might need to reposition that. And then we um, help to implement that. So it might be through like, facilitating advisory boards or the delivery of content to events. Um, and, um, you know, wherever possible, we always say we do it in a completely independent way. So one thing I often tell my supplier clients is you may not like what I'm about to tell you, but that's what you're paying me to do. And that's really important for us. 
on the buyer side, it's actually a mirror of the supply side. We help them rethink their travel program strategy. We help them think about how they can source differently, help them think about how they can engage their C-suite and travelers differently. And then we help them to implement that. And then in between those two, we support associations. For example, we've supported ITM in the past and GBTA and uh, the Dutch Association. Um, and that's generally with the content and support on delivering content in a way that engages audience. And of course, our IATA work as well, which is an association. Of course, and IATA is uh, relevant to this podcast because yes. we're going to delve a bit deeper into the subject of NDC. Yeah. And I can hear an audible groan from our listeners when we say those letters together. W- why do you think that is? Why has this subject not got a great reputation? Yeah, it's funny because I don't groan at all. It's actually the, the subject that's most excited me in this industry for the last 25 years because... For me, it's um, it's potentially so empowering for anybody in the value chain to be able to take what they do to a completely different level. I think the audible groan comes because it's been so ethereal in the past, so um, difficult to actually grasp what NDC is, what it's going to tangibly deliver to everybody in the value chain, and what that product and service is going to look and feel like that so many of the stage sessions or articles that are produced have just been, you know, at the end of it, you think, well, I'm not, I'm not really any the wiser. So when they listen to another NDC session or they see one scheduled, they're, they're like, well, what's the point? I'm not going to be any the wiser at that point as well. So I think that's where that comes from. And I know there was a, a recent business travel summit where, of course, we were both present in Geneva. Yeah. And uh, what are the objectives of that event? It takes place uh, every year, doesn't it, now? Yeah. So uh, it's probably worth me just outlining what our, our role is with IATA because I think that's important for people to get some um, context as to why that event was produced. Essentially, our job is to help IATA to engage the business travel market. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. And what that means is that we create environments where IATA and the airlines get to listen to deep insights from the corporate travel sector. And we help to educate the corporate travel sector on the movements within the NDC environment. And the IATA Business Travel Summit is one of those components that we crafted about four years ago. It's invitation only. It's intended to invite people along who have a deep interest in NDC. And uh, it's generally, it was recommended to be produced by what we call the TMAG, the Travel Manager Advisory Group, which were essentially buyer advisory boards we put together for IATA. And they were really, really keen to get an event that had the whole value chain represented in, in a room over a day and a half. It's been a really interesting exercise because year one, we went through a lot of that kind of, there was a lot of charged emotion in the room. Um, I remember Ian Hayward from Travelport actually at one point just stood up and said, well, this is a load of BS, isn't it? And and actually it was the best thing he could have done because it just ignited debate in the room about... Was Ian quite direct about something? It's funny that, isn't it, really? He's not renowned for it at all. It was brilliant, though, and and I love him for it, but um, we haven't seen him there since. (laughs) One thing I would note. But there was a lot of that initial, what is it, what does it feel like? This year, definitely we've seen a shift. Uh, I would say that we've gone from if and when to how. And what we heard was for the first afternoon were six case studies of actual tangible implementation of NDC. So these are, and in fact, most of them, four of the six were TMCs who are now delivering NDC content to their customers. So I think that's the first big thing that came across is anybody that says it can't be done, it's not the case. What it means is it's either they don't have the skill, they don't have the will to do it, 
or they don't have the, the bill, the money to be able to actually invest in bringing that content to market. So I think that's, that's really something quite key. What we have also seen is it's not, not the end deal. The, the thing's not delivered and it's like, oh my God, this content's amazing. We're at the first stage. And what I mean by that is we're getting a lot of the content that we would have previously got through the GDS that's now coming through NDC channels. But essentially what that's doing is stress testing the pipes and making sure that it all works. And it's giving the airlines distribution alternatives. In fact, it's giving everybody in that chain distribution alternatives. The next step, and what we heard at that summit, is that the, actually the airlines are now working on those value-add components. What are these bundled fares that are going to be personal to the corporate? What are the extra ancillaries that the corporates really want to see brought into that distribution chain? And that's the really exciting bit for me, and I hopefully we'll see something like that towards the end of this year. Just before we go any further, Paul, yeah. let's level set for our listeners. For those that aren't intimately aware of uh, what NDC is, can you describe it in a sentence? Yeah, essentially it's a communication standard that helps to distribute content that provides personalization and rich content. That means videos, pictures, descriptions of products and services. It's a way for the airlines to differentiate their products using modern communication language that the internet uses. I think I counted four sentences. But yeah, that's, well, that's I cool. can never do one. You brought me in for a podcast. <laughs> we're going to talk. That's the way it's going to be. So um, it was noticeable this year that there was a lot more consensus and I think acceptance of the way forward than in previous years. So yeah. that is encouraging. What, one of the things that our buyers at ITM are often frustrated by is that all of the airlines seem to be going about it in quite a different way. Yeah. Uh, very different ways in, in some cases. Why is that? And is that one of the reasons why it's taking some time? So it's a standard and IATA has no control over the implementation of that standard by its members, their, their individual commercial decisions. And so I think you can expect some divergence on how it's presented to the market. In some ways, you, you want to see a little bit of divergence because actually the whole point of API and, um, and the NDC standard is that it allows the airlines to differentiate their products in ways that they couldn't before. And at the moment, they'll differentiate their existing products. But it, the exciting bit is in the future, you could see some airlines start to develop really, really interesting products for the corporate space. And this allows that. So I think, you, you know, you can look at, at that, that um, a different implementation with a negative perspective and of, of course I understand the reasons for that and I'll cover that in a second but I also think there's some really positive aspects that we'll end up seeing in the future from a negative point of view what, what the challenge is is actually is how that content is going to come through the pipes uh, what's it going to look like on the online booking tool screen is it going to be comparable with other fares and, um, and is the data flow going to mean that what you get at the back end is going to make sense to you as a corporate buyer I don't put all that down in the airline space. I think what we need is a much more agile and versatile intermediary space with the TMC uh, desktop, TMC mid-office and back-office, and also the online booking tool community to be able to deal with this level of flexibility because that's what you get in the internet world. That's what you get in your leisure environment is you think about the way Amazon presents all the hugely number of different products you're still able to compare, you're able to make choices, but much more informed choices and much more product differentiation. And that's where we're, we're wanting to get to. 
I must admit that was a key takeaway for me this year that the, the role of the TMC in an NDC world is is just it's growing. Yeah. Because there is that need to not just bring reference fares and comparisons and bring in every airline's different method to the uh, to the point of booking, but also to work within the policy that the, the corporate has and only present offers that are within that policy. Yeah. It's another opportunity, it seems, for TMCs to show how resourceful and adaptable they are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've always held the view that um, NDC is a massive opportunity for the TMC community. And by the way, you know, we're talking NDC and airline, but there's huge developments in API distribution of hotel content. And I know all the car companies want to get into that API distribution space as well. So, you know, let's, in a way, remove NDC and talk about API because I think um, the the TMCs for too long actually have, have been relatively cookie cut, cutter in the, in the proposition to market. And in an API world, they have an opportunity to integrate all these products and services and then overlay it with amazing service. And think of all the challenges that corporates have had with leakage and people feeling like they're sort of being pushed to go down a particular channel to make a booking. We want those travelers to feel like, like they, they really want to go down a, a booking channel and they really want to experience the service. I'm not saying that doesn't happen at all today but I'm saying I think there's a massive opportunity for the TMC not just on servicing but also on all the extra bits that they need to provide to the corporate in a modern world like for example guidance on changing your policy to take the most out of your online booking tool in a a world of personalization like being the guardians of data of the individual traveler and the corporation in a world of personalization. What I do get is that there's been you know, some reticence in the TMC world around NDC because it's a massive shift and it affects their business models, it affects their workflows, it's completely understandable, but I still in the long run believe there's a massive opportunity. Of course, you have the um, travel manager advisory group at the at the summit. Mm. What was the key feedback that you guys gathered from the buyers there? Because I think um, it would be fair to say that there is there's been a long wait for some buyers to see what's coming their way. Yeah, is it fair to say that there are differing views about how well it's being looked forward to? So it's really interesting because going back to your initial comment about audible groans when you say the words NDC, what what I have noticed is those that join the the advisory group who then um, get much more deeper insights into NDC and the development of API distribution in the airline space, actually start to you see like a positive curve going up of their view of what this could do for them in the future. So I think that's one thing where actually much deeper engagement does give you greater insight and a greater optimism for what could be achieved. At the same time, there's no question that the buyers in that room are, have also become slightly frustrated with the delay in delivery of NDC content. But they understand that isn't just down to the airlines. The airlines' investment in their NDC capability is based on confidence in the market to consume that content. For the last three years, that confidence in that intermediary space has not been there. They've not wanted to necessarily to, to dive headlong into API distribution and NDC for the reasons I said earlier. So that means the airlines are sort of playing a little sort of wait and see and how much do we invest. Some have gone for it. Lufthansa, you know, British Airways, good for them. They, they've sort of gone, actually, we don't care. We're going to go headlong. And they're certainly the ones that are driving change with a stick rather than a carrot. 
But I think it's not fair to just blame the airlines for the delay in the delivery of, of NDC. I think it's everyone's responsibility, including the buyers. If they really want it, they should be really demanding that pull-through in their value chain. And I, I don't think until recently that's really been there either. Just to comment then on the different approaches by the airlines, especially the way they're approaching it commercially. You talked about the stick versus the carrot approach, yeah. for example. Why is that? Because it seems that like the American carriers are, are fairly similar in their approach, for example. But some other home carriers in Europe have a different take on it. What's your view on that? Well, I think in, you know, in, I admire those that have taken the stick. Of course, I'm not on the receiving end of it. I'm a consultant. I don't have to absorb the cost. I don't have to go through the change in workflows, trying to work out how to get the content, deal with aggravated, you know, intermediary sector. So it's easy for me to say this, and I do appreciate that. But I, I admire those that have, that have used the stick because they're forcing change far quicker than those that are using a carrot. And, you know, let's be honest, the carrot isn't the same carrot that, that exists through incentivization in, in a legacy environment. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that the, there's enough incentivization yet to drive dramatic change. But I think in some ways what they've done is they've introduced some cost into the system that then forces people to think about how to remove that cost. It's a bit like, you know, you want people to stop driving cars, will then double the price of a car through taxation, and you'll stop people driving cars. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, a fiscal tool in order to drive change in the market. I don't think that's necessarily their long-term approach. I think you're likely to see even those that use sticks to bring in some carrot incentivization at some point. And this goes back to the capabilities and opportunity for a TMC. I think if you're a travel management company that can help define your user types, your traveler types, and you've got tribes of travelers and you can go to the airline and say, I think we've got a new group of travelers here and we think this following product might really fit them. How about you develop it for us and and we can market it to them? I think that's hugely valuable to the airlines and I think they'd start to pay for a service like that, whether it's through individual transactional incentivization or whether it's uh, actually like a consulting service that TMCs could provide to the airlines, I think there is that that opportunity and we'll think we'll see behaviours change. So maybe related to that final question on NDC, what timeframes are we looking at here? Because I think another enlightened moment for me in the summit was that actually we will be looking at bookings processed by the GDS probably for at least 15 to 20 more years because there are some parts of the value chain which will still need to be done that way. What is the time horizon for the rollout of NDC from here? Yeah, there, there was a comment. I think it was the um, it was the gentleman from Finnair said we're still going to be doing NDC in 20 years. Actually, what he meant was that API distribution or modern distribution, because it'll move on from API to something else, means that we're actually going to be developing forever from now on. It's not it's not we've done it in by mid 2020. Now we can move on. So I just want to sort of correct that if that was a misconception in the room. I think. Um, the GDSs are critical to volume, to scale of NDC. Um, the, we know that they've all invested in divisions within their organizations to focus on getting that content through. And they have a different challenge compared to, say, an individual TMC that's already consuming NDC. The GDSs have got scale to deal with. They've got multiple processes across all sorts of different variables in terms of what needs to be delivered to different TMCs and other types of agencies. So it's not surprising that it's taken longer and they want to get it right. 
what we're hearing is that we're going to start to see, in fact, I think there was an announcement yesterday or day before that um, one of the GDSs is starting to now deliver NDC content to some of their TMC partners. I think we're going to start seeing uh, volume NDC coming through towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. I think uh, that we're going to start seeing uh, value-add propositions from the airlines coming in again towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. We know that there are pilots in place with corporates. I know of at least 10 to 15 pilots in total that are going on. So we're going to start hearing about the results of those pilots as well. So I think it's a really exciting phase for the for the project. You guys have kindly helped us by creating a reference document that talks about the output of the session for the summit. And we yeah. can find that now on the ITM website. So thanks for helping produce that uh, moving away from ndc you are a world traveler are you not paul i would be described that's one of my attributes yes traveler well-being is such yeah. an important topic in industry see days. now i audibly groan this is terrible <laughs> yeah go on so what do you do to try and stay well when you're traveling because you do rather live on planes don't I'm you absolutely terrible i mean the first thing is i i love inverted commas social networking at night so um, I combine jet lag uh, with uh, slight, slight hangover and great conversations and dancing with then trying to m- maintain some sort of well-being. It just really doesn't work. And I'm experiencing this more and more as I get older. Actually, my approach is to try and minimize the impact on my way where possible. So I obviously drink a lot of water and I have started to exercise. But actually for me, it's when I get back on terra firma in the UK, I have a personal trainer. And I always have an appointment to meet him as soon as I've the next day after I've got back to re-kickstart my uh, exercise routine. As you can see, it's working perfectly. I'm now slim and it's not, it's quite difficult. Um, Let's say that it's noticeable. (laughs) Oh, is it? Okay. You had a a ginger shot when you arrived. I did, What did that do for you? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it it helps to give me a little buzz. I mean, maybe I'm a bit excited now. I'm quite jittery. No, it's because I've given up coffee because coffee just gives me sort of peaks and troughs and I wanted to get a bit more stable on um, on uh, in terms of what I drink in the morning so um, but it, it is really hard and my I mean my wife calculated I'm away in total a block of four months out of every year so that has an impact on my family life and my connection with my children and my wife has an impact on my sense of fatigue um, apparently I'm quite a big moaner um, and I reckon I moan a lot because I'm just knackered all the time so we are trying to cut back on our, the amount of travel that we do within Festive Road and also we've gone to a, a four-day week Caroline and I to try and get some sense of balance in our lives as well. Now, I'm genuinely interested this four-day week yeah. is um, something you've both been doing now for quite some time yeah how are you finding it works for you is it sustainable? Well initially I had to work Sundays to get Mondays off but actually that worked for me as well because my wife's a swim coach so she works at weekends doesn't work Mondays so at least I got some connection time more connection you, you time you cheated with her. so you're, you're actually working <laughs> five days a week no I'm not now uh, for the past I mean I haven't traveled now really uh, any long-haul travel for about six weeks and that's very unusual for me and because of that and because it's a, it's sort of getting into the downtime for us as consultants then um, I have had four day weeks over the last six weeks and it's been fabulous what I would say is it's really it's like a weekend a two-day weekend is just enough rest but you're still kind of motivated with a three-day weekend it's like I go too much into the rest zone then I have a little bit of a problem coming back to it on a Tuesday morning but um, no it's great and hopefully we'll I'll see the benefits in sort of next six months or so but being able to exercise on a Monday whereas before Monday was sort of rammed that's one um, immediate advantage. 
So I'm, I'm, the question I'm thinking is, um, yeah. obviously, you pay yourself 20% less now that you work four days a week. So with the whole uh, organization, our, Paul's our structure... Not, Paul's not laughing. No, but because it's a serious <laughs> point, actually, is... Um, is that the organization itself, Festive Road, isn't about money. It's about balance in our lives. And the people that we have as part of the team don't just work for us for the money. Some of them um, actually do something else in their lives and they do consulting part-time. Some of them actually want Mondays and Fridays off with their kids and they do a three-day week. Um, so what we hadn't been doing was applying that thought process to ourselves, Caroline and I. And we just figured actually what we were doing was not sustainable. We were working till 11 o'clock every single night. We are working weekends, just wasn't sustainable. So the, the answer is yes, we have taken a view on, on our income, but we're richer for it. Sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But it's true. It is true. That's great. I and mean, I think you guys really are leading the way on that. And I'm genuinely watching with interest because yeah. I think that is the way forward. Um, okay, so last question. I'm going to ask this to all of our guests. Yeah. Um, not to be too morbid, uh, really just thinking about your legacy, Paul. What would you like to be stated on your headstone when it's all said and done? This was, when we talked about this um, podcast, this was probably the most difficult. NDC I can do, no problem at all. Well-being, no problem at all. Time at CEO, great. What's on my headstone? Pfft. I mean, the first thing is I intend to be cremated. So let's just say I'm not going to have a headstone. It's easy. But if I had one... You can pass around a card with it written on or something. <laughs> if I had one, I asked my wife this and she said, moaning no more, which I think is a bit unfair. But I, And I came up with one and I said to her, what, do you, what about this? And she said, it's rubbish, but I, I really like it, which is Veni Vidi Lucy Conkers. I came, I saw, I played Conkers. And I think that for me sums up my life. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's That's a nice pleasure. way to finish. Our thanks once again to Clarity Business Travel for helping us record and support the podcast. That's all for this one. We'll see you on the next ITM podcast. Mm -hmm.